Hello, welcome to the Great Rift Podcast. Uh, I'm David and I'm running alone at the moment while Jamie puts his lovely children to sleep. Today I've got two special guests with me who, who some of you may have heard of um, or may not if you're weird and don't use the internet at all. Um, but I'll hand over to you guys to introduce yourselves. Hello, uh, my name's Joe. Um, I am one of the people from Tabletop Tactics. Um, most people know me as Beard. Um, and it's weird hearing people use my real name sometimes, but we'll go with that today. That's quite fun. Um, so anyone that doesn't know, um, we have a YouTube channel where we produce um, battle reports and list analysis and all that good stuff. Um, we've also got a website. We've got some more content as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm one of the presenters. I make some of the uh, lovely models and paint them that you might see on the channel as well. Um, and yes, that's mainly me. That is you in a nutshell. Yeah, I just got confused because you called yourself Beard. No, you didn't call yourself Beard. You called yourself by your real name. I'm very confused by this. Well, it, it feels like it feels like this is a real life conversation, like yeah. a real thing. We're all grown like up. I'm a real boy. <laughs> I'm a real beard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've started talking and I haven't introduced myself, so yes, I should probably yeah, do that now. Um, so I'm Stig, I'm one of the other people um, on the uh, on the channel. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know, you stole all the good stuff, Joe. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> we should also say D&D stuff, which is kind of like, you know, some people might be involved into that as oh, well. That's true. So, um, right, you guys are here to talk with me and Jamie when he's free. About what might be one of, in my opinion, and I'm sure this is quite bold, I think one of the most important books that the Black Library have produced in a long time. Um, I say produced, it's been out six years now, I think 2014. Um, we're talking about The Talon of Horus, which, um, yeah, like I said, I think is a pretty important, vital book. Um, but we'll go into detail why I think that later. Um, I'm assuming you guys have both read or listened to it recently. Oh, well, we were supposed to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear thinking I, I was going to read it to you? It. You're just going to tell us a story. <laughs> yeah. I finished my bedtime story reading. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can do that as well. I mean, I can if you want. <laughs> Don't have a good use of your time. But, um, um, yeah. So it's, it's the second time I've read it. Good, good, yeah. Nice. Um, it's, it, it was the first time for me. I did the, the uh, Audible uh, audible version. Yeah, that's what I just did as well. And I absolutely loved it. So what's the sort of high-level synopsis for a novice that doesn't know who Horace is, what the book's about, what he's trying to achieve, just at a very top level? Go. Okay. So essentially, um, so as far as I know, this is set during the, the Slave Wars. Um, and it's sort, of, it's sort of set just after the Horace heresy, right? Somewhat. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. We don't actually know, right? Time, is, time, time is a... has gone past. Yeah, yeah. time has gone past, um, but they don't know how much time. So, so basically, um, it, it's kind of covering the the the, the, the traitor legion. So all, all the bad guys, um, they've kind of um, fled after the big the big battle, as it were, um, and they're sort of it, it, it's at a time where they're kind of. Um, uh, like fighting amongst each other, um, but now their main uh, their main leader has uh, is not with us anymore. It's kind of t- uh, giving a bit more meat to the bones of, of the new leader of the bad guys, essentially, which is um, uh, Abaddon. Mm. And this story kind of um, follows one particular character, but it does kind of build upon um, uh, Abaddon taking over and. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I, I guess as a, as a top line that might yeah. cover a few bits. Yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the things is whether it's kind of top line, but I think what makes it kind of important is is that this is telling the tale from one perspective, and yeah. I think that's one of the things that particularly is important with this. It's a particular perspective, and it's the fact that it's he's a narrator, a narrator that's telling this story. Um, and I think that makes it particularly interesting um, as we kind of go through the events that unfold. Yes, mm. yeah, I agree, I agree. And I think it's um, probably worth highlighting that that's all correct. You know, it's all about um, it's all about <clears throat> uh, why, how does Abaddon just suddenly become powerful? Well, really, that's a misnomer across the law. You know, people calling him Fail Abaddon and all that jazz in the past. And really, he earned the right to be this like warrior king type of the of the eye. 
but like you said, Stig, it's it, you know the it's told from the point of view of a character who is our main character for all of it. Set, if I remember correctly, it's just before the end of the Thirteenth Black Crusade, the sort of gathering storm, and he's he's captured, he's tied up and bound in a um, uh, inquisitorial interrogation, and he's telling yeah. the story to the Inquisition. So I mean, already. Yeah, you, you can you know it'd be a terrible terrible ending, but you you couldn't put it past one writer just getting like Aaron Dempsey Bowden getting to the end of it and going yeah it was all bollocks none of it's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely no reason why he couldn't do that. I'd hate him for it, but um, it could be a lie. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think, think it's um, a very very important book from my point of view. I think it's cool that there there aren't many that kind of come from the perspective of like the chaos forces. Normally, most of these books, it's very much like the uh, talking about the um, the loyalist legions and all those characters, so, so seeing it from the perspective of the other side is super interesting. Because there's always been this thing about like who's the bad guys, who's the good yeah, guys yeah, yeah. In, in like oh. our universe. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's it's really interesting to see like what probably are perceived as the bad guys to, to kind of take you through the story. It's, it's really really interesting. Yeah, and it's something that um, I think Aaron Dempsey Bowden does really well is that he balances not having any characters that are these like typical moustache twirling villains you know like yeah. ha 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 I'm a bad guy I'm going to blow up the train you know it's they've got motives they've got reasons why they do things that brotherhood they technically love each other even though they're from different legions originally you know they're not tied by blood it's all quite um, you know I, I've always loved collecting bad guys I've got a massive Iron Warrior force I'm very close to dropping money on a um, Night Lord's force which I don't need but I want you know <laughs> It's, well, he, he's very good at making them sympathetic characters, which is interesting. Um, uh, and he's very good at making you want to buy another army. Yeah, the bastard. Absolute <laughs> 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 bastard. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair point. I think the only other thing I'd add is this is coming from a point in time when we're in the main in the characters' world as he's telling the story, where they don't know about the Greater Imperium. You know, they've they've had the scouring, they've escaped into the eye. And then everything's fractured, and like you said, there's the slave wars, there's legions going after each other, the Emperor's children have just annihilated the last of the Sons of Horus. I think it's important to note that they're still called the Sons of Horus at this point. There's a yeah, lot of people yeah. think that the, the terror failed, you know, they failed to do what they wanted to do, and overnight they became the Black Legion. What you don't realise is actually the Sons of Horus are not the Black Legion, and I think that's a really important point that they point out in this and the follow-up, is yeah. that Black Legion is its own thing, you know, it's not that they all just decided, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll paint our armour black. It's, they're their own thing completely. Um, which one of you wants to go first on talking about some of the characters? Can you pronounce his name correctly? Absolutely no chance. Um, <laughs> one of the, the things that anyone that has ever watched me on uh, the channel will know that I can't pronounce anything. Uh, yeah. Being incredibly dyslexic, the ability to read no, these names you know, is, is, is bad enough at the best of times. <laughs> um, but to be absolutely honest, my memory in this, these strange times we find ourselves today has is, is gone even worse. So someone right. start me off. You know, All right, I'll, I'll this, drop the first this. name. I'll drop the first name. He's the main character. In the book, yeah. it is spelt Iskander Kaon. It's actually pronounced Sakantir Kane, which is a bizarre yeah, I, way of spelling and saying. But yes, yeah, Sakantir. That's the classic 40k thing, isn't it? That yeah. everything's going to not be quite as it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so Sakantir Kane, he, tell us about tell us who he is and what he does. Well, he he's our our, um, our unre unreliable narrator, shall we say? Yeah. He's our, our kind of main protagonist, and he's he's a, a former sorcerer of the Thousand Suns, or former is he still? Who knows? Because it's, it's that kind of strange time, um, and he kind of heads us off with the the story and takes us as from his perspective, and has quite an eclectic collection of um, let's say crew and um, and you know folks around as part of his war band, um, wow. which kind of really again draw into the kind of combination of, of slightly strange situations that these legions have found themselves within the eye yeah yeah i think that's totally fair um i think it's maybe worth highlighting before I, before you jump in joe i love the fact that he sees himself as a bit of a gun for hire kind of type yeah he rents himself he very out much like a talks foe. about that yeah. he? um talks about kind of you know of helping experiences helping you know and getting involved with very much you know different uh, different war bands on their aims but always in the kind of uh 
well, you know, obviously me as an Admech fan would, would love the fact that he, he often takes payment in uh, in, in other uh, robots and uh, an automata to uh, to support his his ongoing warband and fleet uh, yeah. you know, in the future. And I think it shows an immense. I, th- I think there's a little delicate balance thing ADB's done there with that. Um, I think it just shows his further distance from humanity, how he doesn't relate to it at all. You know, he doesn't yeah. keep many humans around. He relies on robots to look after his ship. Um, he communicates with the dead. You know, everyone around him is dead. They're essentially dust in a, in a power armour. You know, he's got very few friends. Keeps an alien by his side, which I think is quite mental. Um, yes. What is her name again? I've, it's dropped out of my head. Nefari? Uh, no, what? Neferata? No, that's Nef- from... Nefertari. Nefertari. She's yeah. an interesting one. Um, so someone tell me what she is and why she's with him. I'm intrigued. How far do we go with this? That's the interesting thing well, with that. Well, um, most of our listeners know it's pretty spoiler heavy. We don't keep anything really, <laughs> you know, I'll say it, I'll say it officially. Um, you know, we're going to spoil the shit out of everything. So you've been warned. <laughs> so who is she? Go on. Uh, well, she is. It sort of it grant. It's a really interesting way that they kind of tell her story and and how how they kind of drag her along. But um, she uh, am I getting this the right way around as to which one? She's the uh, the dark elder. Yes, is that right. She is I'm getting yeah. the right way around. Cool. Yeah, just making sure I get the right companion. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, he has many has companions. Two very important companions. Yeah. That uh, you know, and um, so she is. Uh, he often it's like his blood ward um so essentially you get a kind of backstory with them that gradually gets uh released over the course of the the novel where they explain how she she became um effectively linked to him um and support him and and there's a very strange is it it's probably in my experience of uh, black library novels probably one of the, the closest comes to almost there's there are kind of uh other elements of love than have, have previously been covered in other Black yep. Library. You know, so it, it's a very strange relationship. It's like platonic um, that has, love, isn't it? Has many a levels. Yeah, um, I agree. Especially because of the fact that it's uh, with a superhuman and a, and, and a Xenos. Uh, yeah. So that's that's you know very very unique in the setting. Yeah, um, and she is um, she's she's I say a companion, but she also is an absolutely incredible fighter um mm-hmm. and some of the kind of some of the, the the more action set pieces uh often and also kind of horror stroke thriller elements come out from from her and some of the things that she does uh mm-hmm. within the novel yeah completely agree yeah i like there's a, there's a word he uses like casting her as a spear like when he knows he needs to just go and kill someone immediately that's his weapon you know he'll just launch yeah. her at stuff and they, they're gonna die so yeah, cool. Um, all right, so we've talked about how do you say it again? Sikander. Sikander, <laughs> not Iskander. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, he's our he is our, our eyes and ears throughout the whole story, but he's not you know he's not reliable in any way. Um, so he's been bumming around doing his thing for a lot. What he actually talks about not knowing that he's given up trying to pay attention to time. They don't really know where they are, what they're doing. Um, so he. Uh, they, if I remember correctly, um, we first meet him on his way to to like a gathering, um, where uh, a gathering of of is it um, Fabi- uh, Falcus Kyber sends out sort of a beacon to request aid or to a meeting with fellow yeah. friends. So Kyber's interesting because he's come from he's he's one of the more recognisable characters as we've seen him already in the Heresy. He's part of, um, well, at the time of the heresy, he was part of the, um, the, uh, I think he, yeah, he is towards the end, isn't he? He's part of the Chesterian. He's one of the sort of top dog, um, Terminators. And he's called out for aid. You know, he wants to talk to people that he trusts. One of them being Sikander. But we meet a couple more characters. We meet, um, Lehorvine, uh, the World Eaters. Um, and we meet, uh, what's the Emperor's Children's character's name? They've gone to meet Falkus Kyber, Widowmaker. Falkus. Falkus yeah. Kyber. Uh, so, oh, is that Jamie? I'm back. You are back. Hello, you're very quiet, mate. Welcome back. I'm here. I've always been here. I just kept <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie, we're just. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, we are just talking through the characters. So, we've just talked about Sikander. 
Um, we're now moving on to some of the sort of characters around him. So we're going to talk about um, who are who is Telemachon and who is Lorvine as they're sort of the two sort of very important characters in my opinion. So who wants to talk about one first? So, so yeah, so Lorvine is um, a well was originally a member of the World Eaters, um, and he essentially is. is um, I guess he, he seems like good pals with um, uh, with with the rest of our um, so-called heroes. Um, I like I like him a lot. He's also yeah. uh, he's also got the nickname Fire Fist, which he really doesn't like. Um, <laughs> it's quite funny. Why don't we? Don't yeah, we? don't call me Fire Fist. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he he's blown off. <laughs> he's. Um, so he, yeah, he, he's basically there with with our friend Iskander, and they are basically out to to find the um, uh, the vengeful spirit yeah. and Abaddon, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Abaddon is actually a bit of an accident. I think. Yeah. So yeah, yeah they they meet with Kyber, um, but it's interesting while while they meet Lorvine and they meet um, Kyber with uh, Sikander, they actually get ambushed. You know, they're, they're attacked by the Emperor's children. And that's mm. where this Telemachon character comes in. And um, I think he's a really interesting character because he has prehistory with Sikanda. They fucking hate each other for reasons we'll find out <laughs> later. Um, but as, as always... the Emperor's children as well, don't they, because of what happened at the Siege of Terror. So. Yeah. Yes. For anyone that's reading the Siege books now, we're starting to get a taste for what's going on. And you can already see they're dropping some seeds in. Dropping some Emperor's Children dirty seeds over these stories. <laughs> so they're starting to bring that to life. Um, but yeah, so um, someone talked to me about Telemachon. What what does he bring to to our group? Why is it important that he's in this? Um, well, let's, let's, we, well, as you say, as you mentioned, he, we first meet him when he, he ambushed the others. Um, and he's... Um, in the, I listened to the audiobook and he's voiced in a very like posh perfect way as like a lot of emperor's children are he's got like this the way he's introduced him visually is that he has this like sort of um greek roman face mask i always pictured like the one from gladiator you know when he guy he fights the tigers yeah that, yeah that perfect like yeah mask and um he obviously um he can we can as, as things get on as progress but, um they finally defeat him which we can maybe discuss a bit later on about that's such a cool scene of that whole fight and <laughs> what happens there but um he sort of he gets used because of his slash slash floor of just wanting any sort of stimulus i guess is the best way to call it um he sort of robs he gets robbed of that and so he sort of becomes numb to everything around him except when well when when he's wanted to when he when he's allowed to yeah so that's that's quite a cool aspect yeah, you know, it makes it puts it makes it's unfair, as in it's really nasty of Sikanda to do that to him. But it brings him in, and it shows his loyalty later on. Um, that through everything, he still ends up being part of the bigger story, which is quite interesting. Um, I think it's also really interesting the, the link between you know him and the the Dark Elder Nefertari character. Yeah, and yeah. so those two kind of like slanesh related characters, so and so diaposed, is really really interesting. Yeah, like, I, I want to lick her. I want to. I want to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Um, so there's a couple more characters that I don't think require too much in the way of we saw covered. We'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do a baddie in a bit, but um, there's a couple more sort of side ones which are important. Um, Gaia or Gear, his um, what they what do they call them when they were on Prospero? They had they had a name, the sort of demons that, um, before they were yeah, yeah. demons. They had like fancy names, um, but Gaia is a demon um, in the shape of a massive wolf. And I didn't really realise the wolf until I re-listened to it. It's not wolf size; it's like horse size. <laughs> it's yeah. a horse-sized wolf, which is kind of cool. Um, which it's is down the, to Sikanda. It's the, the idea that, that she kind of takes on the, the shape of the wolf um, as Prospero is burning, isn't it? Yeah. Which is just incredibly evocative. Yeah, image very. Of just this yeah. humongous yeah. wolf appearing out of the uh, the, the burning city. Um, and then uh, another, uh, we've got two more. 
We've got the Animesin, Amanesin, the Amanesis, you know who I mean, Animesis, and Ashakai, who are both sort of bound up within the ship, the Talok. I quite like Ashakai. I think he's such the way he's voiced and again in the audiobook is so like this like nerdy dweeb in the background, like, hey, we should be doing that. So what's interesting is it says in the dramatis personae that he's born of terror. So he's not, not even really. prospering. Yeah, he is from the homeworld. He's so like he's also described like really kind of physically weak. So you're like, how did he yeah. become a space marine? Like, yeah. How did he pass the test? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So Abaddon, let's just spend a minute or two on Abaddon. So, who wants to sort of talk about the big boss man? John Chaos Lord Beard. So, I, I feel like in this book he's sort of it, it's sort of uh, it's building his reputation back up. It's like a rehabilitation of <laughs> being a bad man. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it's it's done really interestingly because I think before, like in in the uh, timeline wise, in the older stories, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a maniac. Like he's super hot blooded and gets upset really easily and takes out on people. And he's he's definitely got a bit of a uh, a rage issue. But in this one, he he seems far more composed. Um, and they they ADB sort of goes into some detail about how he is in the process of claiming what Horus had, I guess. Um, I mean, the, the, the bit of the clues in the title, it, it does go into some description about um, how he how he takes the, uh, the, the the weapon that Horus once wielded and uses it himself, but mm-hmm. kind of like in quite a slow way. So it kind of, it's not like, oh, here's his, here's his claw, I'm just going to put it on and let's go. It's... Um, there's some really cool descriptions about like how we got it and what he's doing with it now and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it definitely kind of builds him back up as being uh, sort of getting himself ready for the job, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think, um, <clears throat> you know, reading, being a big ADB fanboy anyway and a big follower of his blog, um, he, he'd been pitching to do this book for a very long time because being one of those sort of... When I think of writers, I think of old dads do you know what I mean like six year old uh, JR you know what's the guy that wrote Game of Thrones I always have that face in my head but ADB is not much older than us lot you know we're all in our sort of early 30s I believe um, and he's he's his big goal was to change perception of a bad because he's sick and tired of how everyone especially because the old metal model had hands that just connected at the elbow and they fell off really easily <laughs> There's memes out there just called Fail Badden. If you go and look no, at ADB's blog, he's just like, I had to just change that perception because it's not right. You know, oh, it's taken him 13 crusades to get it right. Well, actually, no, each one was, a, like you said, Joe, a methodical thought-out plan. There was an objective yeah. to each one. You don't do what Horus does and try and t- turn over a galaxy in seven years. You have to bat away at it and do it properly. So, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing with him. He's, he's the the Abaddon that's learned the mistakes of the recent past, um, you know, the, the mistakes of others, and he, he blames them for it, but still has, has kind of learned from it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He's um, my friend uh, James. I don't know if you, you know Joe, but Jamie does. He's one of our gaming buddies. He was saying that he's like a when we first meet him, he's like a weird hermit Yoda. Goblin type. <laughs> he's got like long hair and he's wearing manky armor. He's like not even in his Terminator armor. That's what surprised yeah. me the most. He's just cruising yeah. around in battered power armor, and he's just been yeah. cruising around the the the, the Eye of Terror, sort of just doing what he wants. But it's all yeah. and it's a collection of different legions as well, isn't it? Yeah. There's, a, there's a nice little foretelling. Uh, the fact that the armor that he's wearing is just a collection of random bits and pieces mm-hmm. all came together. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very evocative. Um, and the last time I met him was like in the first three books of the Horus Heresy, and he's so different. He's not like this raging animal in those books. He's totally kind of collected. He's clever. He's, he's very thinks out his moves. In this point, it's yeah, it's a very different beast to what those beginning of the Horus Heresy. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Cool. All right, that's that's sort of the the main cast. So I guess let's let's go into the sort of high level plot. I mean. If I start, we know why everyone's met. They've come to meet because Kyber's called them. 
he proposes to Sikander and um, Firefist that they should go and find the Vengeful Spirit because he thinks he knows where it is. When they're there, they get attacked by the Emperor's Children, who I think we forgot to mention. Emperor's Children kind of rule the roost at this point. They're the most powerful legion in the eye, mostly because they, they didn't bloody themselves very much in, on, in the Battle of Terror. They've also just destroyed the yep. last fortress of the uh, Sons of Horus. Yeah, yeah. so the Sons of Horus have had their backs broken, they're, they're gone, they're scattered to the wind. So the Emperor's Children are there now, they're, they're hunting down Sons of Horus because that's what they do for sport. So everyone sort of has to scatter and escape. Um, so, if I remember correctly, this is where they make the decision to do what Kaiba suggested and go for the Vengeful Spirit, right? And it's I can't really remember off the top of my head what happens at this point. What happens between them and them so finding it? So they get so they're all at this. They're all like they're talking about it, and I think it's the point where they say they've stolen the body of Horus as well. But this is like focus is outraged and like he's like this is all I have left is to, to defend the honor of our Primarch and right the wrongs etc. So I think there's sort of an agreement that they would help him, mm. um, and then the Emperor's children like burst out of the warp. And they're pretty outnumbered at this point, and I think Five Fist actually he tries to make a leg for it. Falcus makes a leg for it back to his ship, um, and then at this point, um, yeah. It kind of all goes to shit, and and Empress Children start blowing ships up yeah. in the void. And then our characters sort of get away. Um, I'm trying to remember what happens once they actually escape. Where do they go? Do they go straight to the Vengeful well, Spirit, or? Well, he starts, they... his Rubik, he starts putting his Rubikai back in back onto his own ship by mm -hmm. his like warpy portal. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's it's really, and then um he gets a message from Firefist just there, um. And is it, was it Telemachon? Yes, so he's taken over Telemachon. Yeah. And it's, I think let's talk about yeah. one of our favourite bits. I think this is a highlight, just the thing you mentioned earlier, Jamie. The Ragged Knight. I think yeah. this is fucking gnarly. So tell us about the Ragged Knight. What is that? <laughs> so he has all that. He's, um, he has this book of spells, basically. Everyone always comments on it when they first meet him. Like, oh, your, your book of spells has got thicker since the last time I saw you. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> his his well-known trick of like dealing these cards and it's like a capture it made me think of Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon cards oh look at my Charizard <laughs> no so he's got his um, he's got these and then he as he knows he's gonna he has to fight um, has to take on these Empress children before he can escape like he sort of throws it and we find out it's the basically back in like even before our times like ancient French history this town just got basically massacred by this um by these French knights who are meant to be protecting them. And so all their like pain, suffering has all just been put into this one demon called the Ragged Knight. And mm. so you let him yeah. loose and uh, it's, yeah, it's so evocative. massacred Emperor's children. Yeah, so amazing. Um, I think that that's, the reason I think that bit's really important is it shows that A, Sikander is fucking boss when it comes to witchy poo powers like he's really not messing about and I think it is mentioned at some point in this one or the, the follow up that he wasn't that far off the same level as Azuman you know he's up there with some of the best psychers in the legion at the time um, but also I like that the demon is bound to him but doesn't like him in any way whatsoever so it's killing these empty children yeah. because he's told to he's not but, happy about it but he's very not he's happy not. about it um so and yeah, he's struggling as well, isn't he? He says, I don't want to, he's like, I don't want to use him because last time was like, it was a real pain in the ass. To yeah. <laughs> do anything. Yeah. Cool. So eventually they, you know, the, the Ragged Knight beats the fuck out of all these Emperor's children really easily. That's when they get Telemachon. And so, like you mentioned earlier, Sikander takes away, he, he does some powers with his brain and takes away his joy and lust of his Slanesh godness. Um, so he doesn't feel anything anymore. So he basically controls and the him. melted his face as well. Yeah, the Ragged Knight, that's right. Yeah, it bleeds all over him and it melts his face. God, yeah. Fucking gnarly. Um, and they, 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 so they, they, they disappear all back onto Sikanda's ship. And I, if I remember correctly from here, they go, they get supplies or something, or do they go straight for... Yeah, they go back to that, like, mech station where she's, like, neither good or bad. She's just, like, you know, sort of typical mech, like, just anything to make a good deal. Like, yeah. So she, they supply um, chaos and stuff, yeah. So. 
And that's where and she there's finds... A, there's an Iron Warrior character there as well, isn't there? Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's got, like, no voice box, or he's got his voice box, like, ripped out or something. Yeah. So it's at that point. The reason this bit's important is because am I right in thinking this is where they find um, Kaiba, and they've been attacked by. Oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of the remaining Justarian that were with Kaiba are now still in their Terminator armor, but they're all heavily infused with demons, and they're struggling to contain them. Um, and it's the first time I've really seen that in a book. That's apart from maybe Aaron Dempsey Bowden's um, Wordbearer's book uh, from the Heresy. Yeah. Where um, you know th- that is very much the purpose of that book is showing like the demon possession for the uh, Garvolback. Yeah, the first heretic. But you see it here; they're like completely fusing with their body. Um, it's interesting that everyone's kind of used to it now. Like all of the Chaos Marines are kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of going to happen. Um, Just going to leave them to it while yeah. that happens, and then come back to them in a bit. Yeah, but they they they, they take them on board the the Talok, don't they? They they're like, right, we'll take him with us. We're going to go find the Vengeful Spirit. We're going to keep hold of these guys, and they kind of just give them, don't they give them a couple of flaws in their ship? They just go, yeah, take that, do what yeah. you need to do, get through the pain. It's kind of like go go cold turkey on your your addiction problem. And provide them with slaves and stuff to be able to kill and, and yeah. everything as well, don't they? They leave them with sport. So I think it's so awesome because I love term- Chaos Terminators are some of the most important silhouettes of models, in my opinion. I think they look so fucking amazing, and it's cool to see these like demons being part of that. So you could have them on the board and they wouldn't be necessarily rule changed. But you could say like, oh right, that's Kyber and his boys. You could absolutely do that really easily with models. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is they're all possessed by one demon, if not yeah. lots of demons. Yeah, it's, all, yeah. cool. it's so minuscule that it's like spread out amongst them and they sort of act as one. It's that's uh, a bit of a, corona, like a really cool, cool demon. Bit. I like how they kind of go into it in a bit more detail because in previous books, like like you said, David, it's, it's it's more sort of like oh yeah, they're they're infused with demons, but it it more kind of goes a bit deeper into some I suppose like theories behind it and yeah. and things that have been sort of suggested in other books. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's cool to kind of see how um, like mutations are formed by chaos and things like that and how they manifest it's 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 cool yeah. to see it in some more detail yeah so you see it through that lens with with the with kyber and the characters but you do you you know ta- um uh Sikander talks about it when he's with the interrogators um i think they frame it as they you know the the warp shows your shame and your your you know your your badness i guess is the word on the outside you know it <laughs> manifests yeah. hatred and and fear comes out of you um, so you can't hide anything in the war, which I think is a really cool concept. Mm. Um, so yeah, they take Kaiba, and this is when they go to the Vengeful Spirit, and it's been hidden in kind of like a dust cloud nebula thing, right? It's been like Star Trek, yeah. Just hiding it. There's a few bits. So we during that their voyage there, so they have they we'd get more find more out about this Dark Elder character. Oh, we touched on that when you were putting your babies to sleep. All oh, right, yeah. But you can carry on. <laughs> That sounds creepy. Do <laughs> <laughs> so we find out? Okay, we find out more about her. And they also go through this bit with the astronomicon. Oh, I forgot about that. Where they, just, oh. yeah, where they come out of the void and they basically just land straight into like the astronomicon, which is the emperor's light. Basically, it's this mm. guiding path through through the void that where basically he slaughters like a thousand psychers a day or something, and it yeah. this light. That um, they could be going home, and they actually end up right in the middle of it because they don't make some like warp void alien thing gets stuck to their ship, and it just yeah. drags them out, and then they just burn it up in the astronomical. Yeah. But, it just, but while it's happening, like this this sliver of like the emperor's presence, it's really this bit was like really trippy. And I was yeah, I was actually going to ask, like, <laughs> what did you guys make of this, just in general? Because it was the one tricky bit in the book for me, where I was like. Who's this old man going? It's, <laughs> it's quite a left turn, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Kai is like, oh my god, is it like a um, a, a prophecy that can like tell the future? Like, we must capture it. <laughs> and everyone else is he's like, re- blow it to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's really obsessed with trying to capture, isn't he? Yeah, his own powers with, are like fading, aren't they, or something? Yeah, like he's obsessed with it. He's obsessed with anything to do with prophecy and uh, you know future seeing. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, so which they, is probably the first time you get kind of a, a space marine aging. 
uh, really kind of uh, you know a legion itself in the legion that's, that's really aging and failing and yeah. coming to the sort of end of their life so you've got kind of that that kind of side of things going on there yeah yeah definitely probably doesn't help that he's albino as well right he's got like blood red shot eyes and he's pale white skin yeah you can't really weird dude. yeah uh, if you guys have ever seen any of the special edition artwork for these characters they're they're all on google they're incredible like Ashakai especially looks berserk, like absolutely insane. I love anything that looks like um, the standard armor of, of a particular legion, but then painted black and gold. It always looks better. Um, yeah. Ashokai and Sikander just doing Prosper and you know forty k Space Marine armor, but it's black and gold and it looks amazing. Um, highly recommend you go check it out. Um, cool. So yeah, after this one, this is when they get to. So they're now at. They find the vengeful spirit after a while. Um, I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the the. It's not so much the reveal of the ship; it's more when they're in it, which is important to me. So they find it on this planet that's raining acid, and it's hidden in a dust cloud, and it's stripping all of the paint off of all of their armor, which is yeah. again big old nod to the point. You know, they're all going into the ship with bare metal armor now. You know, which is yeah. really cool. Um, I really didn't pick up on that until I listened to it on the audio because I, ah, that's clever. Um, yeah. So they spend ages looking for a hatch to climb in, and Fire Fist is like, fuck it, just whips his chain axe out and just starts clawing his way into the ship. And they're like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's one thing I really want to talk about is they're, they're walking through the ship, and we've, if you've read any of the heresy books, you, you see the inside of this ship a lot, and you do see it change over time. But this ship is post. Siege of Terror for Vengeful Spirit. It's a fucking house of horrors. It sounds awful. Uh, there, there's the, the, the scene where they find like the demon that's essentially made of anuses, which is just like stuck <laughs> oh, yeah, itself yeah. to a wall and is like <laughs> pleading with them for, for forgiveness and, and like not to kill it. It's, it's so ghastly yeah <laughs> um, I, it, it was it was it, it's it, you, you, demons are most of the time sort of described as these like all-powerful beings and like like wreaking havoc and destroying yeah. worlds and things and you've got like the anus monsters stuck on the side of the wall it's so yeah <laughs> i really like the um the the crystallized ghosts of the dead yeah. of the ship Oh yeah, that's so creepy. That reminded me of definitely something out I've seen in either like Doctor Who or <laughs> some sort. Of, it really resonated with me, and I think it's specifically the crystallized. So to, to just wind back a second, these crystallized ghosts are the dead of the ship, whoever they may have been, loyalist or, or traitor or human or whatever, and whatever's an important asterisk there. Um, they're like hands yeah, and bodies. Yes, there's like imperial fists crystallized in like freeze frame mode, but. They, they psychically resonate with people that are sensitive to the warp. So Lahore's just walking around, just smashing limbs off of them with his axe for fun. Like, he just finds it hilarious. <laughs> and every time he does, it's like a migraine shock down Sikander's, you know, brain and his body. He feels it. Um, but the, the creepy, creepy bit for me was the ghost of Sanguinius. Just, like, <laughs> just hovering around the ship. It's like, that's so fucked up. I love it. Makes me wonder if there's a ghost of Horus floating about somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very cool ship. So they wander around and they find this. Um, am I right in thinking they find um, like a little robot or something comes flying at them? Well, they this like servo smashing servo skulls. That's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 yeah so they're smashing servo skulls and it finally gets the attention of the person that's on the ship, and it turns out to be a badden, which is really funny. But he's just in power armor, laser hair, and they the the chapter ends with just. Um, Lahore saying, drop your weapons, we're taking this ship, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. <laughs> Just straight to the point, this is our ship now. Um, they have a really interesting chat of Abaddon, um, and someone taught me through like the, the Hall of Horrors, or not Horrors, sorry, the Hall of Stuff like that Abaddon has, it's pretty gnarly. Like a kleptomaniac's like, horde of just everything that he's done over these years, and he just like... There's like a whole sea dragon thing, like he's like a tooth was as big as a space marine, and he's like, oh yeah, I just killed that. <laughs> just dragged his corpse onto the ship. Um, you know, he's got he's got like this. Oh, the best is the beer that is. Yeah, yeah they, go, go ahead. <laughs> just started making you know his uh, small batch uh, brewery. 
Yeah, I love that. And again, it's really funny, but it's definitely a bonding thing there, you know? Sort of pouring them all a brew and passing it around yeah. while they chat. Was it, wasn't he trying to make, like, um, warp matter or something? Wasn't it a common body kind of It was the leftover plasma from demon energy like yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I, I fucked it up, so I've just made a beer out of it. It's, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a weird contrast. And I, do you know what? I think it's fully intentional. It's part of the hero's journey if you look at, like, a standard um, arc of the story. You're like Luke Skywalker going off to find Yoda. And he finds Yoda, who's been built up in his head to this mythic being. However, these guys all know about him. They know how fucking dangerous he is and how powerful he was. And they find him, and he's just this weird little crusty, dirty, homeless like hobo man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's just hanging out, but he's got gold eyes. And he's just a bit normal and a bit not very Abaddon-like. Yeah. Which I think is awesome. It's such yeah. a random way of seeing him. Um, it's just such a different way that we've ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but it turns out that this wasn't... The, the, I think the big point here is this wasn't them coming to steal his ship. That he, they, he, they've just been gamed completely. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> They just got absolutely played. He has, using a character we forgot to mention, and I can't remember his name now. Um, the word bearer. The word bearer, he doesn't talk. Oh, oh really. It's really cool, actually, because it's like this whole thing of like, well, he had Sargon. his throat ripped out, but his like he's he can't. Um, our main character can't break through his defenses, and even though like this powerful psyche, he's like his mind has been like reinforced beyond any measure, and so he has to. He can't read if he's like telling. At the beginning, he can't tell if he's, if he's telling a lie about he knows where the vengeful spirit is, etc. So it's kind of like this. He's like this really mystery character, and then yeah. he thinks he's set them all up because. We think Volkus dies, so we're like, oh, he's just he's trying to get us there. But then he, he reappears, and he's like, oh yeah, he's down a few decks in his in his cell. Yeah, I think Sargon's an interesting one to talk about because he, like you said, he's so powerful. He has managed to manipulate things to get everyone to the ship for Abaddon. But the thing that, like you said, it scares Sikander. Not only can he not read his intentions, which he's never had before, he's a he's a blank to him. He's managed to trap um, Gaia in a, like a What's that TV oh, yeah, show? Yeah, What's yeah. that TV show with the um, two brothers that ca- Supernatural? Yeah, so Supernatural. <laughs> and they always capture. They always That's capture demons. And stuff. Left turn. Yeah, they always capture demons by doing like circles of salt. You know, it's a really standard thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sargon literally does that. He puts a big circle and just traps Gaia in it. And he's like, uh, as soon as Sikanda finds out that Gaia's trapped by him goes for him like he's immediately ready to stab the dude in the face right in front of the badman but <laughs> a badman calms it down um and uh, uh, this this whole point is i guess really vital is that you find out that a badman's actually just been playing a very very long game building his power base identifying the people that he wants to join him um and he puts it to them here right he's like come with me kind of thing like let's do this let's take the ship and do something useful with it um, yeah, it's, all, it's a lot, lot of talk about um, not not dwelling on the past. Not you know, we're not our fa- we're not going to pay for our father's failings and things like that. It's all about this like new start. We're you know being reborn. It's this whole you know like being reborn in black, etc. It's this whole emphasis of like we're not. It's not we're putting a line under the Horus Heresy. That's yeah, and I think what's Horus, really... Horus was always going to fail. Like Abad even says that. Like even he, he was never going to accomplish what he wanted because it just it was so um single-minded and selfish-minded or horrors for what he wanted to do and mm. it's, it's not abaddon thinking bigger than that almost yeah i think i think abaddon realized from my point of view i don't know if you guys agree i think abaddon's obviously realized that the reason and this might come from the fact that i'm reading listening to the siege books now but abaddon and he realizes it in this in the latest one without any spoilers that there's no cohesion between the, le- the, the the traitor legions at that point, they were all single-minded in what they wanted. They were all arrogant. You know, they were so fractured. And he realizes that brotherhood's the only thing that matters. If they're united yeah. under a single banner, and I don't think he. I mean, obviously, he thinks it's his, but I don't think that's really the point. I think the fact that he stands in a circle with them, you know, and shares a drink and talks to them like a normal person. He doesn't put his like kingly hat on and become a leader. He's like, "Will you join me?" I need your yeah, help. Yeah. 
And it's very different. And again, that, that annoying thing that ADB does so well, making you sympathise with him. It's like, I fucking hate him in The Heresy. He's a horrible character that, you know, is always in my favourite character's way. But <laughs> but he's really, really likeable. Um, and this, that, so to move the plot forward, this is where he asks... They, they, they talk about how the Emperor's children are a bit too powerful and they've got the body of the deceased um, Horus and they want to go stop them from doing what they think they're doing. They, they know that they that Fabius Bile can clone, right? They've already talked about that. Yeah, uh, I think well, they still think it would take... They think it would still take 100 years even to get there, but it's just the principle of it, like... Just the principle of them nicking this, they should, even to attempt it, is not something that should have, should ever be done. Yeah, yeah. They they kind of reference like he he was made by the emperor, and it, it shouldn't be attempted to. Uh, he he, sh- he shouldn't be copied because he was perfect. Then that then opens up a really interesting dialogue about well, I just, like I don't think he was perfect. Like what is the emperor? <laughs> He's an idiot. Um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really interesting seeing that from their perspective. Yeah, I definitely get the vibe in this book that they all hate their fathers, all of them. Yeah, like, they're just done. Yeah. they're done. They're, they're done. They don't want anything to do. They want to cast their own path, um, and they do that in a really. Everyone has to sacrifice something to get there. Um, I think that's a really big part of the second book. Without going into it too much, is what are you willing to give to? have your own path and be your own boss essentially um, and that's a big part of what the Black Legion is about, it's about putting your all in um, so they, they, they come up with a plan to to go and stop what the Emperor's children are doing but they realise quite rightly that they're a single ship with no crew um, and they need some sort of way of stopping the Emperor's children because what's the name of the city that they are basing themselves in? The Emperor's children place has a Canticle city. So like I said earlier. Canticle city. Yeah, so the Canticle city is the base of the Emperor Children and they're the most powerful Legion left. Everyone else is fractured into warbands and they're very much still functioning quite well. Um, So they know they've got a task ahead of them. So Abaddon asks them to make a sort of asks Sikanda to make quite a heavy sacrifice. And that's but you don't he doesn't. You don't sit it in the book, so you kind of the way you find out is by it actually happening. Yeah, tell me, oh, God, really cool. what does he do? Yeah. <laughs> what what happens? Because this is very spoilerific. <laughs> well, basically, he's ended up to like tow their ship that they arrived in. Like he has to tow it through the warp, so he's sat like controlling it and keeping it attached by a, his psychic powers, and then he basically lobs a ship out of planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I fucking love it. Absolutely love it. So yeah, um, I guess we didn't touch on the Amnesis too much, but it's one of those plot threads which is really nicely done. It's actually Sikander's sister. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I love the I love this idea as well because it's it's the human nature of a, a space marine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's his mortal sister originally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she had one of those bugs from Prospero, the psychic bugs that get in your brain and they just melt it. They just eat yeah. it away. So to save her, she's turned into a bit of a lobotomized servitor that's still kind of vaguely aware of names and people. Um, and she has this weird connection with Telemachon, doesn't she? Like, he thinks she's beautiful. She's, like, absolutely perfect. And she kind of, like, reacts to him really weirdly. Like, she almost engages with him on a normal level. But Abaddon's big yeah. plan, and one of the reasons, I, I think people forget, one of the reasons he's brought Telemachon, uh, brought Sikander along is because Sikander's got a fully operational ship with no crew because of the amnesis so he knows that yeah she can basically run the vengeful spirit yeah so he knows that he can just unplug her and plug her in so while i think it is all about brotherhood i do think there's a layer of abaddon which is completely strategic and absolutely got a pretty solid goal in mind of what he wanted so if sikander said no if sikander said no i think sikander would be dead (laughs) yes i think the amnesis would end up in the black uh, in the vengeful spirit if he wanted it there or not um, so yeah so they drag the Talok and launch it out of the Canticle City obliterating it to pieces um, it's quite an evocative image isn't it, just a spaceship the size of a, I don't really know how big a space that ship is but it's got to be bigger than a city right? Yeah I think most, yeah. most of them are pretty, pretty 
pretty enormous. Would it just destroy a planet? Like, you know, a, a, rock, yeah. hitting the, the, a rock hitting the Earth wiped out the dinosaurs. Would a ship with a nuclear <laughs> reactor in it hit yeah. a planet? Yeah, it would like, all life on it, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the point. It would just completely destroy the entire ecosystem and anything that's there. Well played about them. <laughs> um, or checkmate, checkmate emp emperor's child that yeah. so, <laughs> um, so they get in there they've just absolutely wasted them um, and then they board Fabius Barr's ship because it's escaping and they want him which has got one of the best best names for a ship ever Go on. the flesh market <laughs> is that near Barra market yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the game club I used to go to, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so they, they, um, so Abaddon, all the boys, um, and this is where we see the demon Terminators, um, the Justarian, sort of do their ting. Um, they, they burst straight onto his ship, don't they? And they start smashing everything to pieces. They start cutting their way through Emperor's children. They make their way to his lab because um, they're like, right, we want to go get Dad's body back. Where's my daddy? <laughs> Where is Daddy? And they, uh, uh, when they get there, it's pretty fucking shocking. Um, not only do they find Fabius, they find some kind of spawned version of every Primarch in stasis chambers. And if I remember, yeah. it was the it was Fulgrim that made me feel a bit grim because he had like a weird tongue that spat acid. Um, but Abaddon just gives the order to lay everything to waste. Right? It's like kill them all. Like this is all yeah. going to end. And then we get the big reveal, which, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Horus is there. <laughs> and then he's just there. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. It's so, so weird. I, I didn't yeah. expect it. I kind of didn't expect I'd be like, they're gonna, like it's not going to actually happen, but like, it does happen. You're like, okay, <laughs> it's weird. It's a pretty emotionally charged fight because yeah. um, he's Horus at his peak, but not Chaos Peak, if you know what I mean. I think it's Horus uncorrupted um, yeah and he just gets smashed by you know Terminators hitting him and he's being bolt gunned down and he's just unfazed by all of it and he's just swinging some maul around um, obliterating Thousand Sun um, uh, warriors everywhere Nefar Neferati gets Nefari just gets grabbed out of the air and like whiplashed into the floor and Guy gets smashed in the head and it's all pretty brutal stuff um and then Abaddon just says stop, doesn't he? He's like, I've had enough, and just goes one-on-one -on -one with him. And it kind of yeah. just makes really short work of him, which makes me wonder what power level Abaddon's at at this point. Doesn't he, really... he, he messed him up. He, he <laughs> takes no bullshit. Yeah. Like, this is... So is there, you know there's a rumour that's been around for a really long time, is that Abaddon... They even mentioned it in one of the heresy books. That the, the Astartes, yeah, the Astartes have always wondered if Abaddon is just a clone of Horus. Yeah. And... You know, is that evocative image of them almost head-to-head -head fighting, leaning at each other, and they look the same. Um, but, yeah, obviously, Abaddon wins. Um, doesn't he... Does he, does he have the claw? Right, yeah, so he's put the claw on him. He does, yeah, yeah, so he, he takes the claw, isn't it? Yeah, he takes we, the claw. We've got that bit when, we, when they finally actually meet the claw, and like they take it out of the stasis field, and it, like the blood of Saint the Emperor on it just like drives um, a character like... Sikander. Like... Sikander crazy. Like, yeah, because the psychic resonance from from a Primarch and the Emperor's blood on this uh, on this thing. Yeah, fucking. If, if I remember correctly, he he rammed it in his chest and then fired like six shots into him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up into his like up behind his neck and spine. I just completely yeah. basically decapitates him from the inside. Yeah, he I says. That's... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think that's the thing. We shouldn't talk about this as being like the kind of rebirth of Abaddon. It's like there's not really a better way of like showing how far he's come uh, in the reader's mind as much as anything than yeah. this fight and everything he does. Yeah, I, I agree. Very I'm trying to remember what Abaddon says. I know what he says. Go on. <laughs> he says, I am not your son. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that has loads of fucking levels right that's that's not just a signal that is a goosebumpy moment because the legion was called sons of horus you know that's very much that's in the bin now that is gone like, yeah the whole, the whole legion's yeah. done like it's so fucking evocative i love it um like everything he wanted to say to horus yeah yeah it's amazing so so good um 
And then the story sort also of... the best way to kill Primark is with Primark's own weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So gnarly. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of like the end, really. You know, it sort of tails off with them limping away. Um, we find out that... Well, it doesn't actually tell you what the state of any of the characters are, does it? It kind of just leaves you there with him being interviewed back in the real time um, by the Inquisition. Yeah, it definitely um, leaves it open for the next one. But that also gives you the, the point of the, the un, unreliable narrative because the fact that Noeta, because she, you know, one of the Inquisitors even asks him sort of like why he's there kind of thing, uh, and he says about the fact that you know he shares about why he's, he's kind of um, not necessarily even been captured, but he's he's kind of there to to tell this story. Yeah, he's given himself up. I don't think we really highlighted that before, did we? He's come willingly as like a messenger yeah. for us. Um, and he's got he's well known by this point, you know. He's so th- it's amazing the book ends with Horus dying and Abaddon being made, you know, I'm in charge now, Sons of Horus are gone. You never hear the word Black Legion anywhere, you know, that's not in there really. Mm. You mm. find out that Scander is uh, so Scander is this is he's been around for a very long time and there's been 13 Black Crusades in that time. They haven't had one yet, they don't have one in this book, <laughs> yeah, it's not started, which is amazing. Um. But he's got a hundred names, hasn't he? I can't remember any of them. But Sikander's known throughout the Imperium. And there's just a really funny bit where he corrects the Inquisitor because they name him for as one of the warlords. And he's like, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is awesome. Um, but yeah, cool. So that sort of covers the, the plot and the sort of highlights for me. Um, was there anything we missed out that you think is important or, or worth highlighting? I think one of, one of my favourite bits, um, and one of the mo- one of the most one of the bits I sort of found myself like in, if that makes sense, is when they're describing how he got his um, his axe, like the space wolf axe. Oh, yeah. oh yes! Like the the, the way they describe that battle, and the way they describe the um, I can't remember the, the space wolf's name. Oh, the um, yeah. ugh, anyway, but the the way they describe um, what what he's seeing from his perspective and how sort of rabid this space wolf guy is um it, it's is amazing and i, I think it's it's and any weapon that has a name like having a story <laughs> having a story behind it of how it was acquired it's like it was such an epic epic moment it's, it's one of those really descriptive things where i sort of completely found myself sort of in the story and watching it unfold it was amazing yeah yeah but, yeah I he was like, almost dead he literally just takes the space wolf so i just gonna finish him off he just literally like and it's also one of those cool things like I, I said earlier on like how there's always a bit of a, a, a grey area between who's the good guy and who's the bad guy like because you've got um, Iskander obviously narrating it and he's describing this like snarling yapping um, space wolf guy that's just drooling everywhere and just won't die um, yeah. it's, really, it's really cool to sort of see a good guy described in that way yeah I completely agree uh, I think the other thing with, with that whole thing is it, it instantly makes the other half of me as a hobbyist start thinking about the conversion of, of how I feel Alexander. Because it's yeah. so cool. It's so, yeah. like, the combination of that kind of Thousand Suns sorcerer that carries these kind of, you know, random uh, weapons from, from other people that he's taken these things on, particularly yeah. a space wolf axe. Mm. Yeah, it's so nice. And it also thinks <laughs> he owes Fire Fist as well, because Fire Fist came to prosper and saved him, basically. Yeah, yeah. Never get a time frame on that, and or why he was there. But he could have just been in because I don't know if you guys remember, like Space Marines can shut their bodies down into like a coma state, and they sort of just stay yeah. steady forever. Yeah, a bit like Gilliman does basically when he gets put in that force field for ten thousand years. They can kind of just go into. So God knows how long he was lying in Prospero. But, yeah. Yeah, low power mode. Um, anything else that we skipped over that you think is vital? Um, I think my favourite line in the whole book is is from Five Fist, which is, "Don't piss a legend over us and tell us it's tell us it's raining truth." And doesn't um, our character doesn't he repeat one of these sayings back to him at, at a later point, and he's like, "Don't use my, don't use my terminology." <laughs> yeah. But but the whole book the, with them on the ship and like. Um, the, these little demons like appear from their hate. From every time the nails trigger, like these little demons like appear from the hate it creates in them, and like they're just crawling over them. I never had that. Um, I forgot about that. Look, doesn't one of um, the Lehu's men just eat them? Yeah, and he says you like 
Like you didn't get any like nutritional value from them. And he's like, well, the best way to like have a go at your enemy is to shit them out or something. That's a great line. Yeah, once again, just like making all these horrible characters really likable and understandable. Um, it's interestingly humorous, I found, this book. Yeah. yeah. It's got a good sense of humor. It doesn't go too far, but it definitely has a, a bit of a comical feel in some places. You get a, you guys have watched Band of Brothers? So yeah. yeah. I definitely got a sort of com- com- you know, a companionship thing when Telemachon and, and Fire Fist and... Cassandra, I was just wandering around, you know, when they're just doing their thing. Their conversations yeah. are very much yeah, that very sort much. of <clears throat> troopers that have been around a long time together comedy, which is always really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. it's strange because they're these are the bad guys. These are the guys that <laughs> these are the guys that absolutely definitely destroyed Cadia thirteen crusades <laughs> later. Do you know what I mean? Like, we really shouldn't be on their side, but I want them to do well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Cool. Conscious that time's speeding ahead of us, so um, <clears throat> I think we've spent like five minutes. What does this book add to the universe? Like, why? I said I think it's really important. I'm intrigued to think why other people might agree or disagree. Because um, for me, I think it's very heavy. It, it, it changes so much in the way of how I view Abaddon. Um, so yeah, keen, keen to see what you guys think. I think that, that's the main thing for me because um, you, you, the obviously the, the Horus Heresy is so rich and there's so many amazing characters and and Horus obviously plays a, a huge part in it. Um, even right up to the end, like in um, Slaves to Darkness, that, that's where it all sort of really, really changed for me. So being able to kind of take back some of the um, the unfortunate comical references that Abaddon picked up over time you kind of needed to reinstate him as the big bad again so um, yeah the, the way they told his story in, in, in quite a, a, a subtle way um, it, it really kind of fixed my um, opinion of him I suppose Nice I think it's, it's an interesting because you know, similarly like reading those first three um, Horace Heresy books you just get such a one particularly in those first three particularly you get such a, a certain perspective on him that's very, very, very different to this. Um, and it just kind of hits the reset button to everything you kind of think you know about him. Um, and I think that's that's really interesting. And, and for me, it, it also kind of, uh, as you say, it makes you really root for the bad guys, yeah. you know, if, if they are that. I sympathise um, with them massively, weirdly. It's, it's yeah. so strange. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think they, they just feel very, very human, um, which is um, strange for like super soldier human, uh, super humans. Well, that's an interesting uh, but, point because um, because the, the, this this generation of marine, um, the sort of crusade and uh, uh, heresy era, they're not psycho indoctrinated like they are. No. Eight to ten thousand years later, these marines are kind of just their own thing. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting point. Yeah. What about you, Jamie? Um, I think this was really good on like it changes the Thousand Suns as well. Like our two our two Thousand Sun characters are very different to what we've had introduced in the Horus Heresy books as well. Like um, the sort of upright uppity in the Horus Heresy books, you know, and like the whole Magnus thing. And these two characters are very different from the rest of their legion. Like they often like they say like that in Araman with his with his special spell that. Caused, that caused this to us. The Rubik. Like yeah. yeah, he's so like angry about it, and they're just not. They're not how um, those thousands of characters are usually portrayed. So. Yeah, I think it's worth highlighting that, isn't it? That um, uh, he hates Araman. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. He fucking hates everything he's done to the Legion. He tried to stop him. Yeah. 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 It's pretty close to it as well. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely kind of. Um, puts a, a stamp on them being splinters of their old legions and That's how, point. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like the beginning of something new. Yeah, and it, it, on top of that, just about being a splinter legion, I don't know if it's because I'm a project manager and I like things being organised and you know when <laughs> things are coming and you know how you're going to get stuff. ADB does this with the Night Lords books as well. Supply chain is everything to a Space Marine legion. The ability to <laughs> maintain armour, the ability to get supplies and know where you're going you know these are all disparate war bands that they're killing each other for more bullets essentially and water mm-hmm. supplies and you just see you get this really good insight water. to 
Yeah, just just. This whole thing they talk about water is like such a high commodity. Like yeah, it's it's incredible. It's it, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of talks it's kind of talks about how at one point that they survived by just eating the flesh and drinking the blood of of crew members for ages because they <laughs> couldn't get anything. I just think it's very. It just puts them at the lowest of the low point. These used to be crusading across the galaxy for the emperor, you know, doing what they want. And now they're. Didn't you do that already? Yeah, it's quite amazing. Yeah, um, I think from my point, just uh, everything else is like completely agree. This one thing that popped into my head was that um, it makes you realise the Imperium know absolutely dick all about anything. Because you know, they're they're quizzing him on who he is and what he's done, and he's correcting them, and they want to know who Abaddon is and what the Black Legion's about, and you realise that it's such a massive galaxy. You know, an entire subsector could fall, and ten space marine legions could fall to join a baden. They wouldn't find out about it for a hundred years. Yeah, it's so you really get that image from from my point of view. You know, we know the name of baden. We've known it for twenty, thirty years, um, and he's been in two incarnations now. Models, maybe three. three. But these people, these characters, and, and the inquisitors don't have a clue, really, about them. And I think that's really interesting. It just shows the sort of naivety of the Imperium as is. Yeah, yeah, very they, cool. They didn't go into the Eye of Terror at all, so it's just like they've got this whole other universe that they can just do their own stuff in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's in there? I don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Ignore that. There'd be monsters. <laughs> yeah, and I guess um, before we do outros, the last point I guess we didn't really touch on is you know, no one's left the Eye of Terror because they can't. They don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one yeah, believes it. Then they don't. Yeah, we can't go into too much because it's the second book where you learn more about this. But length of time, you know, Sikander talks about how there is no length of time. He gave up trying to remember. So it the the time in the eye moves differently. And there's people that come out of it in the 40k as we know it now. And the heresy for them was two weeks ago. You know, the the, the yeah. battle of the siege of terror was last week. But the, the galaxies move forward ten thousand years. It's so it must be really really difficult. Um, managing your life in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> you just wouldn't know how to get to parties on time or anything. Just <laughs> um, cool. I think I think that's yeah. I think we've uh, we've talked our way through the Talent of Horus. I love it. I think it's one of the most, like I said a million times, most important book for me in the heresy uh, in the K universe. I just think it's really solid. I think it's a really good read, and it's it's a bit of a weird one. It's not very bolter porny, if you know what I mean. There's a lot yeah, of yeah. just there's a lot of just chatting, which I really like. <laughs> I think the other thing is, is like I say, is that as a hobbyist, it very much makes you want to kind of think again about maybe a Black Legion army or Kill Team uh, or something. Yeah, um, agreed. So I really want to. <laughs> I just don't. Need, <laughs> I've already got a Death Guard and an Iron Warriors army. I don't need a third, but I really want to do it. Well, yeah. you need, but. Yeah. <laughs> Kill Team's the way to do it, right? That's the way to get around collecting things. Scratching that ear. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. uh, anything else, guys? Or shall we do our little outros and um, be on our merry way? Yeah, go for it. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so so thank you guys for coming on. Um, Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Been a pleasure. So, uh, as we meant, as the, you guys mentioned at the beginning, if you guys don't know who, who Joan Stig are, they're Tabletop Tactics. They're well-known, well-loved. Kind of loved, I think. Very loved, maybe. What fool are you doing? Yeah. Get out of this podcast. You're not doing Um But yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you. I'm hoping to have you guys on again. Maybe if we do the second book. Um, yeah, you guys that'd be on, fun. That'd be yeah, sick. sounds fun. Um, hope you enjoyed. Um, and yeah, call it a night.